Please keep your Bibles open to what we read in Matthew chapter 2, because this is going to be our passage for today. As you can imagine, we are continuing our series about the ancestry of Jesus, and today we are looking at a passage in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 23, that is teaching us something new about this baby that is born. As you may know, the Gospel of Matthew, being the first book in the New Testament, this Gospel serves as a bridge between the Old and the New Testament. Matthew is a Jew, and he is writing for Jewish readers. He speaks a fair bit about the fulfillment of prophecy because he wants to persuade Jewish readers that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. Also, by Matthew's frequent references to these prophecies, he makes it clear that Jesus did not just appear on the scene unexpectedly. All along, God has been laying the groundwork for the coming of the Messiah. All along, God has been telling his people through his prophets to expect the Messiah to arrive. Matthew in his gospel makes 16 references to fulfilled prophecies about Jesus. And the passage that we have before us today, we will look at three of these prophecies. In the Bible in general, there are over 330 prophecies in the Old Testament concerning Jesus. So the arrival of the Messiah shouldn't have been a surprise. It should have been expected if people understood the prophecies in their Bible. Now, I would like us to note that the main drive of what is being said here today in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 23, the main thrust of what Matthew is saying is that God is protecting his son. Verse 12 that we read last week tells us that God warned the Magi to go home another way and not to return to Herod. This was God's sovereign plan to protect Jesus from Herod, to protect Jesus from Herod's murderous intentions. After the Magi worshipped Jesus, they departed. An angel of the Lord was sent to warn Joseph in a dream. And here's what the angel said to Joseph. He said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. What is one thing you notice about what the angel said to Joseph? Usually the emphasis is placed upon the adult in situations like this, with the child being spoken of in relation to the parent. For example, a mother with her child. However, here, that situation is reversed. It says the child and his mother. The emphasis of scripture is upon the person of Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus. The emphasis in the warning was the protection of Jesus. The protection of the child. He is the one that needs protection. Now take a step back. And let that sink in for a minute. 
Jesus needed protection. He needed human protection, natural protection from a parent, from both his parents. Jesus as a child, as a human being, was completely reliant on the protection of his mother and his earthly father. God is here protecting his son in a way that all humans can relate to. Jesus here is relating to our frail humanity. He is relating to us in our frail humanity. God did not send an angel, and he could have, to pick up Jesus and Mary and Joseph and fly them to a secure location. God did not do that. No, God sent the angel to Joseph, the adopted father of Jesus, and he commanded him to take the child and his mother and go to the safety of Egypt. It was Joseph's duty as Jesus' earthly father and as the husband of Mary, it was his duty to protect his family. And he took that duty seriously. He didn't wait. He didn't ask questions. He simply obeyed. We could learn something from that. He obeyed and he went to Egypt. And this was not an easy journey. It was a journey of about 240 kilometers. It's like taking a hike from Sydney to Canberra. So the journey took many days. He didn't stop. He just went straight away. He obeyed immediately. He didn't even wait for daybreak. He began his journey in the dead of night. Now you may be thinking, why Egypt? Historically speaking, it was not unusual for Jewish people at that time to seek refuge in Egypt. When life became difficult in Israel or elsewhere, they would go to Egypt. It's not far from Israel. It's outside of Herod's jurisdictions. Egypt at that time, especially Alexandria, had a substantial Jewish population. Historians would say that there were around about one million Jews living in Alexandria at that time. So even in that, we see God's hand. God had been preparing Egypt to be a place where his son can take refuge. God has been preparing Egypt to be the place from where he will call his son. Matthew in this passage makes it very clear that all of this happened to fulfill the prophecy of Hosea. The prophecy is taken from Hosea 11.1. 1. It says, when Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. God in this prophecy is saying that when Israel was in bondage in Egypt, he called them out. He brought them out of the land of slavery and into the promised land. However, Matthew here is saying that this is also a prophecy about Jesus. The bringing of Israel out of Egypt was a type or a shadow of what is going to happen to the actual Son of God. By pointing out this Old Testament prophecy, Matthew is helping us understand that the calling of the nation of Israel out of Egypt was a type, was a picture or an illustration of what would later occur in the life of Jesus himself. 
Now let me make this clear. We cannot take such liberties when reading the Bible. We cannot simply assume that certain stories are types of or illustrations of New Testament doctrines. Unless the writers of the Bible explicitly say so, we have no authority to make such conclusions. We cannot insert ourselves neither in the text like some preachers like to do. Let me tell you today that no, you are not David. No, you are not Esther. No, the Bible is not about you. And no, the problem that you are facing is not Goliath. Do not insert yourself into a passage that was not written about you. However, if we let the Bible interpret the Bible, we will see and understand that the Bible is about God. It's about Jesus. And God takes his word very seriously. He also helps us by his spirit to connect the dots together in order for us to understand his word as a whole. And as we connect the dots, we see and we understand that God is directing history in order that his word may be fulfilled. Matthew here is saying that the angel coming to Joseph, the flight to Egypt, even Herod's evil plan happened so that prophecy may be fulfilled. And because this fulfills prophecy, the people who read this, this gospel and the people who hear this story, us sitting here today, we can be absolutely sure that Jesus is the Son of God. So keep your Bible open and have a look at the next few verses, 16 to 18. We see here that once Herod realizes that the Magi have evaded him and his plan to kill this new king of the Jews, his evil instinct to preserve his power at all cost kicks in. He knows the approximate time, the approximate date of the child's birth, thanks to the Magi's calculation and what uh, the leaders said. So he orders the extermination of all children born in and around Bethlehem, who are around about two years and under. According to Matthew, Jeremiah 31.15 had already prophesied the cries of anguish that would arise in Israel over such grievous oppression. This genocidal act is never mentioned in other ancient witnesses to Herod's cruelty. Matthew is the only record of this widespread murders. However, Matthew here again is saying that this happened to fulfill prophecy. The original prophecy of Jeremiah spoke of the doom of a dying nation, a nation that was rebellious against her God and was to receive the payment, the just payment for her sins. In quoting Jeremiah's prophecy, Matthew is saying that Israel was still not free. They may not be exiled. They may not be living in a different country, but they are not free in their own land. Herod was ruling over them. And Herod is not a Jew. He's an Edomite. He has no claim to the throne of David. 
And they, to a certain extent, the Israelites, the Jews, are still in slavery. But Matthew is revealing something more. As we read just before in that passage in Jeremiah, he knew that his Jewish readers would remember that Jeremiah's quote appeared in a context in that chapter promising Israel's restoration and Israel's salvation. By quoting Jeremiah 31, Matthew is pointing out that with the arrival of Jesus, the promised restoration, the true long-awaited restoration of Israel had finally arrived. The Son of God is here to truly set his people free. Those whom the Son sets free, they are free indeed. Free from what, you may ask? Free from slavery, true slavery, to Satan, sin, and death, which is the case of all human beings. Jesus sets us free from the power of sin in our lives. We are finally free not to sin. Because before Christ sets us free, all we could ever do was sin. We are free from the fear of death because we know that our future is secure in Him. Because before you were in Christ, you feared death. But now you can say with the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. No unbeliever can truly say to die is gain. We are free from eternal damnation because he, Jesus, has paid the price for our redemption. This is the good news of Christmas. This is the good news that the birth of Jesus brings. We say with the Apostle Paul, Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Again, keep looking at those uh, verses, verses 19 to 23. And here in those verses, we see that Jesus is to be called a Nazarene. Not many people are usually associated with coming from more than one place in their lives. Here in this passage, we see that Jesus is associated with three different locations in his birth. He's associated in, with Bethlehem, as we saw last time. Here we see he's associated with Egypt and with Nazareth. All of this is to point out that he is the son of God. It's difficult enough to find one person who is associated with, in their birth with one place, let alone three. We saw last time that the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. Today, we saw that he had to come out of Egypt. And now, Matthew is telling us that Jesus had to be associated with Nazareth. The first two places, that, the first two prophecies, Matthew was specific in citing the prophecies concerning these towns. However, the Nazarene prophecy is not very clear. Please note, when you read it in your Bible, that Matthew says the prophets, there's an S at the end, plural, the prophets said that he would be called Nazarene. It seems that Matthew here is suggesting that it's not a direct quote. There isn't one specific prophecy saying that Jesus will come from Nazareth. Rather, this represents a summary of what several prophets have said. 
You're asking, what did they say? In the New Testament, Nathaniel, in John 1, verse 46, asked this question. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. It seems that people from Nazareth were not held in very high esteem in the time of Jesus. And we know that various prophets and Old Testament writers wrote that the Messiah would be despised and considered of low esteem. For example, Isaiah 53 Verse 3 says this. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Zechariah is another, likely one of those plural prophets that spoke about the meekness of the Messiah. Zechariah chapter 9 verses 9 and 10 describes a savior who is riding a donkey in a lowly fashion. Zechariah 11 verses 4 to 14 speaks of a shepherd who is not recognized by his own sheep, rejected by his own people. So the prophetic expressions in the Old Testament are that the Messiah would appear from nowhere and would as a result be met with scorn and with lots of rejection. So being a Nazarene could be a reference not to an actual location, but to the maligned character of the Messiah, even as Nazareth was maligned for being insignificant and nothing good could come out of it. Matthew was using it in reference to the implied hatred of Jesus Christ. So those are the three prophecies that Matthew is quoting today. What does that mean for us? This humble man from Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, called out of Egypt, God in human form. He is the one and only who will and can set his people free. He is the only one that can save people from their sins. He was born as a man to die in our place for our sins. This is what Christmas is all about. If you have put your trust in him, he will bring you safely home. That's a promise. And God keeps his promises. What we need to do is we need to continue to trust in him. And our prayer is that we ask God that he would give us the strength and the courage to stand up on his promises and his truth and to preach his everlasting gospel to our family and friends who do not know him yet in the hope that God would soften hearts so that they may turn and be saved. As Christians, we are called to continue to obey him because he said, if you love me, you would obey my commandments. Every Christian, every one of us, we are called to bring the good news of the gospel to everyone. And God will save whom he will save. However, if you do not know God, please recognize that the time is short. You may not have as much time as you think. God in his love and God 
in his mercy because he doesn't want anyone to perish, says in his word. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This man is Jesus Christ. This humble man from Nazareth, this baby born in Bethlehem, one day will judge the world and his judgment will be righteous and it will be for eternity. Jesus is calling you to repent. Jesus is calling you to turn from your life of self-centeredness and sin and turn to him for your salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, and you have through the word that was preached, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. The evidence that Jesus is the Messiah is clear. He is the one and only Son of God who have come in human flesh to bring redemption and salvation to his people. Are you going to hear his voice and turn to him? Or are you going to keep ignoring his command to repent? The choice is yours. You can bow your knee today in repentance and worship. Or you will bow your knee on the day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have sent your son in human form to live the life that we could not live and die the death that we deserve. Father, I pray that you would help us to stand for you and to preach your gospel to everyone. And Father, I pray that you would soften hearts and open ears for people to hear and repent and believe. Amen.